The following message is from Bear Creek Church. More information about BCC is available at bearcreekchurch.org. Find a copy of John chapter 14 for our scripture text this morning is the first three verses of that chapter of John's gospel. A moment ago we sung, And so through all the length of days, thy goodness faileth never. Good shepherd, may I sing your praise within your house forever. We were able to sing that with reason. Because Jesus said what he says here in John 14, verses 1 to 3. Let not your hearts be troubled. Believe in God. Believe also in me. In my Father's house are many rooms. If it were not so, would I have told you that I go to prepare a place for you? And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again and will take you to myself, that where I am, you may be also. Father, as our teacher, our pastor, opens this text up to us, I pray that many more rooms would be opened to future tenants. For your glory and for the joy of those inhabitants forever. I ask this in your son's name. Amen. During the Second World War, some American soldiers were made to do hard labor in a prison camp. Each had a shovel and would dig all day long. And as they returned in the evening, they were required to give an account for their, for each shovel. And one evening, 20 prisoners were lined up by the guard and the, the shovels were counted. The guard counted 19 shovels. And he turned in rage on the 20 prisoners, demanding to know which one did not bring his shovel back. And no one responded. So the guard took out a gun and said, I'm going to kill five of you unless the person responsible stepped forward. And after a moment of tense silence, a 19-year-old soldier stepped forward with his head bowed down. The guard grabbed him, took him aside, and shot him in the head. And then his fellow soldiers recounted, and there were 20 shovels. 
the guard had miscounted, and the boy had given his life for his friends. As Steve prayed and mentioned, this weekend we appreciate, we remember, we honor men and women who died while serving in our country's military, sacrificing, dying for the sake of freedoms, freedoms that it seems like our country doesn't seem to appreciate, and we forget our history and even belittle the form of government that these men and women sacrificed for. Someone wrote that the importance of Memorial Day is more about our future than for our past. We need to remember, we need to honor such sacrifice and value it to the point of following after such heroes. You hear a story like that and you think, what motivates what motivates such sacrifice certainly it's it's love to lay down your life for your friends and as christians we would say that in troubling circumstances there is a faith that looks to god that believes in him that hopes in him and because of that A person can sacrifice. It's hard to look ahead. It's hard to imagine the scenarios in our time to assume maybe how we would act. And this is why we need to grow in our faith. This is why we need to hear the words of Jesus and face each day looking to him in hope. How are you doing? How are you doing? Jesus says, let not your hearts be troubled. And I hope you hear these words in the spirit in which they were said, not as a rebuke, not as a correction, but from a sympathetic Savior with understanding, with love, and a gentle desire to comfort his disciples. And the only way that we can follow his advice, the only true remedy for a troubled soul, is faith. More specifically, faith that will believe in God and believe also in Jesus. Do you long for uh, the good old days, whatever that is? (laughs) Do you shudder? at the thought of raising children in a day where they're actually encouraged to consider if there's something other than what their God-given bodies tell them they are. What will the future look like? The loss of freedoms that these soldiers sacrificed for? Massive inflation? The hypocrisy and self-righteousness of a cancel culture. The denial and ignorance of history's lessons. The redefinition of words to fit an agenda and silence an honest conversation. After all, the the word tolerance was once defined as treating people with dignity 
and respect even when you disagree with them. That was the definition. No longer is that true. But now to be tolerant is to agree with or celebrate certain viewpoints. In his excellent book, highly recommend it, Confronting Injustice Without Compromising Truth, Thaddeus Williams gives the, this example. He said, if you believe In-N-Out is the best burger joint, then it is impossible for me to tolerate you. Why? Because I agree with you. And agreeing is different from tolerating. If you say Five Guys, The Habit, or McDonald's, then it becomes possible for me to truly, to be truly tolerant. That is, I can continue treating you with respect and give you a fair hearing despite your preference for inferior burgers. That's what tolerance is. Today's tolerance is intolerant of you. And this is troubling. It will, society will only tolerate you if you deny the truth of God's word. And Christians, of all people, should be truly tolerant, treating people as image bearers, treating them with dignity and respect as we kindly and lovingly tell them why we might disagree with them on, about some things. But will we even have the opportunity in today's intolerant culture? Do you shudder? at the thought of living in this kind of world. And yet, is it really any different? Hasn't every period of history had its own troubling circumstances? And so, just like them, we need to trust in God. We need to trust Jesus. And some of you are probably not so concerned about these social issues because you're dealing with things like a terminal diagnosis the loss of a loved one, a divorce. Your hearts are troubled. And John 14 is a wonderfully reassuring truth. It tells us that Jesus knows our troubles. He knows our hearts. He knows, he knows it now just as certainly as he knew it then with his disciples. What gives you comfort and confidence in life? Maybe it's, maybe it's your spouse. Maybe when you were little. Gosh, I think when I was little, I wasn't worried about the things that I worry about as an adult. I knew my parents would take care of it, or they at least hid their concerns from us. But I didn't worry. Maybe it's the blessing of a job, or your finances, or your retirement. There are a lot of things that give us a sense of peace of comfort and confidence. And can you imagine just how confident, how secure these disciples felt in the presence of Jesus over three years? Can you imagine the, the expectations that they had? Especially with the recent joy of his triumphal entry. Everything seemed to be going their way. They imagined the future. They imagined their positions. They even argued about who would be the greatest. And now their expectations, their world is seemingly falling apart. 
as Jesus says, that one of them will betray him and that mighty Peter is going to deny him. And then Jesus says, I'm leaving. I'm only going to be with you a little while longer. And you can't come with me for now. Their world is falling apart. Their expectations are are shattered. And Jesus knows that their hearts are greatly troubled and he's concerned for his own. And we shouldn't feel wrong or guilty over a troubled heart. No, Jesus was troubled too, right? We read about it just in the last chapter over Judas. He was troubled in his spirit. It's not sinful to be concerned. It's okay to be troubled by the circumstances of life. But at some point, I'm not sure what that point is, but at some point that troubled heart is sinful if we don't respond in faith. Paul tells us in Romans 14 that whatever does not proceed from faith is sin. So we don't face our circumstances with faith. How do we respond to the troubles of life? This response is either belief or unbelief. To have faith in God or to not believe in Him and what He's promised us. And in the midst of faith... We might still be, we might still have a concern. But that concern, that troubled heart is reassured by the words of Jesus. As we believe, as we hope in him, as Jesus approaches the cross, he will be greatly troubled as he cries out to God, dreading what's coming, sweating with great drops like blood. And yet, simultaneously, he looks in faith to his Father, trusting him, trusting in his perfect will and the joy set before him. And so he responds in a a hopeful, enduring faith in the midst of ongoing suffering. God desires to bring us comfort in the midst of our troubles because he loves us, because he cares for us. And the, the comfort that he brings is in reminding us who he is and what he's promised us. Jesus knew what was coming and he was concerned for his disciples. He knew what the cross would look like to them. Think of it. To them, it just seemed like a dark and demonic victory. The loss of their hopes and dreams. And Jesus says, trust in God. Trust him because the circumstances are going to, they're going to be hard. You may not be able to see the reason, the reasons God is doing what he's doing. It may feel like he's not even there. And you don't know why and what possible good may come of this, but trust he's in control. After all, the best good that's ever come about in human history, was at the cross. 
the most dark and seemingly hopeless circumstance was actually the greatest victory and the highest act of love. So since this was true for them, you too can trust God in your sufferings as well. You may not see it. You may not understand. But there's always hope when you belong to Jesus. Jesus says, believe in God. Believe also in me. He tells his disciples to have the same faith in him as they have in God. Jesus knew what he was doing. You can trust him. Jesus was determined to take the punishment we deserve. We can trust him. Jesus had his reasons for leaving, explaining later that unless he went, the helper would not come. We can trust him. Jesus is the eternal I am. He is the resurrection and the life. We can trust him. And as Christians, we should be the ultimate realists, shouldn't we? Because we know that this world is cursed under sin, that until Christ makes all things right, there will always be trouble, there will always be pain, there's always going to be suffering, and yet we don't say this pessimistically because we ultimately know that God will redeem creation. We know a great day is coming when justice will be realized, when sin and death are finally done away with, when we'll not be frustrated in any of our relationships because sin will be no more. There'll be no more crying. There'll be no more death and suffering. No more frustration over injustices or abuses. In trusting God, in trusting Jesus, we live with hope. And this isn't a a cross-your-fingers-pie-in-the-sky-maybe-this-will-change kind of hope, but a certain hope because God is omnipotent. God is omniscient. God is immutable. God cannot lie, and he has told us what to look forward to. And this doesn't make us so heavenly-minded that we're no earthly good. No, having this realistic and certain hope enables us to be like that soldier. Because we, of all people, know that to live is Christ and to die is gain. And so we are free. We're free to sacrifice, to love like Jesus loved, because we know there's something more Something better. Jesus does not simply say out of concern, don't worry, be happy. Just ignore the pain or deny that it's even real or slap on a smile and pretend. He does not say, cheer up, it could be worse. He does not say, well, if you consider the worst sufferings of other people, if you compare your life to theirs, then you won't feel so bad about your own. He does not say, claim that healing, manifest the change through positive professions. Jesus understands that there are troubles, and he gives some overwhelming reasons for hope. 
What do you believe about God and Jesus? Remind yourself of who God is and what he's promised you. Is this not the best answer of all? That God knows you? He knows you. Not generally, specifically. He knows you. He loves you. That God has, he's promised good to you. He knows the number of hairs on your head, the number of your days, all of the details, and that he is constantly aware. He is continually working for your good, doing thousands of things every moment of your life with no possibility of failure because he is all-powerful. He is all-knowing. He is ever-present. He is unchanging. Believe in God. Believe that if he sent his son to save you, that if he did not spare his own son, perfect and beloved son, because he is for you, not against you, if he went to this extent, and since Jesus willingly humbled himself to this extent, then how, how could he possibly fail to love you and to care for you, to give you all things that are ultimately good for you? Our remedy for a troubled heart is God. A.W. Pink wrote that God is possessed of infinite power, wisdom and goodness. He knows what is best for you. And he makes all things work together for your good. He is on the throne, ruling amid the army of heaven and among the inhabitants of the earth so that none can stay his hand. We need to be like the writer of Psalm 42, questioning ourself and asking Why are you cast down, O my soul? Why are you in in turmoil within me? And then telling yourself a right answer, a godly answer. Hope in God, for I shall again praise him, my salvation and my God. When Jesus says to believe, it's not past tense. It's ongoing. He's saying, believe and keep on believing. Have hope for the future in the security of his nature and his promise. Remind yourself continually to hope in God. And then Jesus goes on to be a little more specific, saying that in my father's house are many rooms. If it were not so, would I have told you that I go to prepare a place for you? So don't be troubled, because Jesus is preparing a place for you. All of us, we long for heaven. C.S. Lewis called this the inconsolable longing. He said, there have been times when I think we do not desire heaven, but more often I find myself wondering whether in our heart of hearts we have ever desired anything else. It is the secret signature of each soul, the 
incommunicable and unappeasable want. The thing we desire before we met our wives or made our friends or chose our work and which we shall still desire on our deathbeds when the mind no longer knows wife or friend or work. Jesus describes heaven as the Father's house. And the idea of a house, of a home, is something that communicates a sense of belonging. And we all want to belong. We all want that security. This is what we all desire. A place where we're loved for our own sake, not for our gifts, not for our possessions. It's a place where we're loved and where we can love in return. And we get a taste of this. We get a taste of this greater reality in our broken world. We enjoy this imperfectly. We're not satisfied, though, but we continue to long for what can only be satisfied in heaven, in the Father's house. Throughout, think of it, throughout the Bible's story, there is this theme of home, alienation because of sin, being cast out, and God promises a home, a land, a city, sin expelling Adam and Eve from their home, Cain becoming a fugitive and a wanderer on the earth, people trying to build a home with a tower in Babel, and God scattering rebellious mankind. Augustine famously said, Thou hast made us for thyself, O Lord, and our heart is restless until it finds its rest in thee. And when I think of home, I just think of being at ease. I can relax. I belong here. And I don't know whether it's an introvert thing or maybe a getting older thing, but more and more, I just enjoy being home. And this speaks to that feeling, that desire that will ultimately be satisfied when we're home with Jesus. Jesus says, don't be troubled. I'm preparing a place, a place for you. It's a place. That's good news. It's a place. It's tangible. It's real. Heaven is not some wispy, unreal existence. No, God made this. He made this earth as a home a home for mankind. This was his design, his intention. Before sin, man enjoyed being at home with God. And so heaven speaks of that home. But earth will be made new. And eventually our home will be a redeemed earth. Heaven on earth, at home, with God. Physical stuff is God's idea. He made us as physical beings to live in a physical place and he pronounced it good and he's promised to resurrect our bodies. So don't dread heaven. Don't have a wrong concept concept of heaven thinking that it's some spiritual, non-physical realm. 
Yes, before our bodies are resurrected, we will experience an intermediate state, but this is not the final state. We'll have resurrected bodies just as Jesus had a resurrected body. This is our hope. It'll be better. It'll be new. It'll be real. And so don't be troubled. Jesus is preparing something very real, specifically for you. C.S. Lewis wrote a really strange, he wrote a lot of strange books, but he wrote one called The Great Divorce to Correct Some of Our Wrong Ideas About Heaven. He tells a story of a group of English tourists taking an imaginary bus trip to heaven. And when they get there as visitors, they realize that they are the ones that are like ghosts. They're stunned at how solid and real everything is in heaven in comparison to earth. It's so real that even the grass hurts their feet. Their less real feet. And the realization that they have is that things in heaven are not less real, but more real. The people in heaven are called solid people. And the passengers realize that the people on earth are actually the ethereal ones, the ghost-like ones. Part of our comfort in thinking about Jesus preparing a place for us is the realization that this place is permanent. It will last forever. And this is what we see Abraham desiring, right? Not being satisfied with a home that by comparison, was only a type, only a shadow. But we read in the book of Hebrews, he looked forward to the city that has foundations whose designer and builder is God. You'll have that sense of belonging there. It'll be real, more real than what you know now, and it will last forever. But, boy, there are questions and speculations of what long, wonderful lines. Um, I wonder if this home, is it like a giant compound? Or we, we see the new Jerusalem coming out down out of the sky. Will it be like ancient families living together? Will we be in our, will we just have a room in a wing? Uh, Or will we live like 21st century Americans with our own places? I don't know. But what I do know is that none of us will be disappointed. None of us will be disappointed. It won't look like that vacation rental that looked incredible in the pictures. But when you got there, you realized those pictures were taken a long time ago. And it just doesn't look so good anymore. Trust God. Trust Jesus. Think about when you have guests come to stay at your home and you prepare for their arrival. A main thought that you have is, what will they like? What do they like? What will make them comfortable? What will they enjoy? And so you decorate it and you stock the fridge with things that you think that they'll like. So if this is true for us, as being a good host, 
how much more will it be concerning Jesus? Jesus, who knows us better than we know ourselves, who loves us more than anyone else, whose creation is filled with beauty and pleasure. I like that Randy Alcorn reminds us, reassures us that Jesus was a carpenter, so he knows how to build stuff and fix stuff. And we might add that he's also the greatest artist of all with ultimate resources. He knows you. He knows what you long for. He knows what will make you happy. It's not going to be some plain, sterile room, unless that's what you like. I was uh, walking my neighborhood the other day thinking about this and noticing all the different tastes and preferences, how much variety there is just in my own little neighborhood with with different architectural choices, different landscaping, different colors. And then I thought of the variety of tastes and preferences around the world. God didn't make us all the same. He's not boring. He made people with a variety of likes. He knows how to prepare a place that will be exactly what we long for. He's the ultimate Chip and Joanna Gaines, where we enter the place in absolute awe. Wow. And this hope should affect us like it did Paul. Paul, who in 2 Corinthians 12 describes being either caught up into heaven or it was a vision. He doesn't know, but he can't describe it as anything else but paradise. It's beyond description. He has no words that do it justice, so he just shuts his mouth. It doesn't result in him being no earthly good. On the contrary, this hope of heaven, its reality, enabled Paul to live with a greater purpose. He was able to face every circumstance with a trust and contentment which compelled him in his work and in his ministry. And the same should be true of us at the promise of heaven's glory. Don't be troubled. Believe in God. Believe in Jesus who knows you and loves you and is preparing something more real, more beautiful than anything you've ever enjoyed here. You have this exciting hope. It's real. It's a promise to you if you belong to Jesus. Lastly, Jesus tells you to not be troubled because he promises you'll be with him. One day you'll either die or go to be with die and go to be with the Lord or he'll take you with him when he comes again. So don't be troubled. You'll be with Jesus. It's hard not to think of our surroundings and what heaven will look like. I know my wife, Jennifer, I know the kinds of things that she likes. I know that her place is going to be grand but cozy. Bookshelves with beautiful moldings, a big stone fireplace with a chunky mantle, large rustic beams and corbels. And I know how much joy she gets from her surroundings. And that Jesus knows her heart's desire, that he's preparing a place for her and Maybe I can tag along because she's kind of taught me what, what I should like. <laughs> All of this communicates home, of belonging, of God 
knowing us and loving us, but more than a place, what we ultimately long for, what all of us, all of this is connected to is a person. And that person is Jesus. All of his preparation for us speaks of his care for us, his love for us. It communicates himself to us, and we will not be satisfied without him. If this place had everything you've always wanted on this earth, even more than you realize, all of the people that you love, all of the problems of sin don't exist, a place with no more tears or troubles, and if Jesus weren't there, then any sense of satisfaction that you have would not last. It would not be heaven because what your heart ultimately desires can only be satisfied in the person of Jesus. It's not a place. It's a person. And connected to our satisfaction is our change, our transformation. For John tells us in his first epistle, Beloved, we are God's children now, and what we will be has not yet appeared. But we know that when, we, when he appears, we shall be like him because we shall see him as he is. He knows what he's doing. Trust God. Trust Jesus. We have a certain hope for the future. And this eternal perspective should have an impact today. It should make us more like that soldier who, even though he was young, counted the lives of his buddies as more significant than his own. In light of our great hope and confidence in God, in light of what Jesus went on to do, securing a place for us, making it ready, one day coming to bring us home. In light of these wonderful truths, we should be continually growing as followers of Christ. We should be bold witnesses to his gospel message. We should seek first the kingdom of God. We should love one another as he has loved us. After all, we're going to share a place together. Maybe it is a wing. Maybe you're in the room next door. I know that doesn't sound very appealing. But these relationships are going to last forever. Maybe, I don't know, to be stuck with me for all eternity, maybe that doesn't sound so good. But when we see Christ... We will be like him. You'll be like him. And you'll really love me then. We will not be able to sin. And our relationships are going to be healed. They're going to be more real than anything that we enjoy right now. Trust me. No, trust, trust Jesus. It'll be great. There is a remedy for your troubled heart. So if you don't know Jesus, let me just say that he's the only way. He's the only answer to what troubles you. There's nothing better, nothing more satisfying, nothing more satisfying than him. Let's pray. Our great and omnipotent, all-knowing, 
loving God. We praise you for your perfection. And that because of your perfection, we have an absolutely certain hope. And because of your perfection, we're assured that our joy, our satisfaction in you will last forever. Thank you for your son, for these precious words to his disciples and to us. Thank you for the great heart of Jesus, for his concern for his own, that that he is our good shepherd who knows how to care for us. Thank you, Father, for revealing yourself to us and your son and that he has shown us your love, that he has proven to be trustworthy. Lord, please grow our faith. Help us to take Jesus at his word, to combat our troubled hearts with faith, believing in you, believing in Jesus, knowing that he is preparing a place for us and that we will be with him. Our hope is in you. All because of Jesus, we pray in his name. Amen.